I want you to go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to read from verse 24 to 20, 28. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. I want to talk to you today about being wounded but alive. Now Thomas, he says, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So Jesus has already appeared in the verses before this to the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't with them. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I think the Bible's trying to tell us Jesus just walked through that door. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Something very interesting about the body of Jesus uh, that was this glorified, resurrected body, is that it was fully uh, human, flesh and bone. He even ate during this time period. But there was something um, about the physical nature of it that was different. Um, People were kept from seeing him and recognizing him. Here it looks as if, almost like a spirit, Thomas is able to stick his hand into the side of Jesus. Um, It's a very interesting thing that Jesus has all of this resurrection power running through him, but he still has the marks, the wounds, the scars from what happened to him. So he says to Thomas, he says, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. Father, we thank you for your word today. Help us to see you. Uh, You're the reason we're here. You are why we came to service this morning. We want an encounter with you. Help us to leave this place with a different perspective on our wounds, our marks, and our scars. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. I said it just a moment ago, but I want to say this again to you. Jesus proves to us that you can have resurrection life flowing through you and the reminders of your suffering all over you. Jesus kept his wounds not only to prove to the disciples that it was him, but to prove to them that the worst thing is never the final thing. He wanted to show them that the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me, crucifixion, is not the last thing that will happen to me. It is not the final thing that will happen to me. And Jesus making that statement about himself is also making that statement about us. Because even when he declared, before he actually rose from the dead, when he declared that he was the resurrection and the life, he was saying that not just to tell us about his ability to get up, But he was saying that because he wanted to inform us that we too will get up. And so anything that Jesus does, he wants to show us what he did because he wants us to know you can do it too. 
Jesus didn't need to get baptized, but Jesus got baptized because he wanted to show us we can be baptized too. And I want to show you this morning, I want to teach you this morning that there is a grace in your life that is proven not by the fire that you avoid, but by the fire that you walk through. Not by a fire that you don't feel, but that a fire that you survived. The Bible teaches that when fires come, they won't consume you. It doesn't say they won't burn you. It just says they will not consume you. As, as what God is trying to say to you is that the worst things that have happened to you are not the last things that are going to happen to you. I wonder if anybody wants to give God some glory t- today that the worst thing that has happened to me is not the last thing. My current situation is not an indicator of my final destination. So the absence of, of scars is really the absence of grace. The absence of wounds is actually the absence of grace. The presence of wounds really shows us the presence, the proof that God is with us. Why leave them? Because these marks don't just represent your pain. They represent your healing. Because even, even in heaven, he is forever the wounded, the scarred, the marked Christ. Isaiah 53 and 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And when we go to heaven, we will forever worship him with the beauty of his wounds in full view. Forever. Revelation tells us that in Revelation 5 and 6, John, as he has this vision of heaven, he says this. He says, I looked up and there, surrounded by the throne, animals and elders, was a lamb, slaughtered but standing tall. I wonder if anybody in the room can, can, can see that picture. He's slaughtered, but he's standing tall. And I, I think that is a picture of us as followers of Jesus. Jesus reminded his disciples, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they came after me, they're going to come after you. If they crucified me, you can guarantee yourself this. They are going to crucify you. And just like Jesus, here we are in this room today, not void of wounds, not void of scars, Not minus the attacks that have happened on our lives, but we are here in spite of all of that, wounded but still standing tall. Come on, is there anybody in the room today that is wounded but you are still standing tall? Not all of our wounds, though, are are physical. A lot of people in the room have some physical wounds in their life. I've got some and scars in their life. I've I've got some scars on my body from a lot of falls when I was younger. I, uh, I have a, 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 I was riding my bicycle when I was really young, and I was jumping ramps with my bicycle, and I, was, I wanted to be Michael Jordan in everything I did. And so, you know how Jordan, when he was playing basketball, he stuck his tongue out. Well, I'm riding this bicycle, and my tongue is straight out, and I'm posing for all of my friends, and when I land, my tongue is still out. And my teeth go through and my tongue and touch each other. And my tongue's kind of hanging. Sorry to do this to you on a, <laughs> early on a Sunday morning. My tongue's kind of hanging out of my mouth. And they take me to the, 
to the doctor and they sew my tongue back together. But I have this line that runs across my tongue. I creep my kids out with it every now and then. And it's just a reminder. It, it reminds me. Every time I see it, it reminds me of, of that story in my life. I have some places as I get older, I'm, I'm reminded that I should have worn sunscreen a lot more when I was younger. I'm, I'm having to go to the doctor, and they're having to cut out spots on my face, and I have this scar on my cheek. And So it tells a story. Every scar tells a story, but not all of our wounds, not all of our scars are physical. Some are mental. Some are spiritual, and I think spiritual wounds can be some of the worst wounds that we experience. Proverbs 18 and 14 says that the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. In other words, the Bible is saying when you have a strong spirit, no matter what sickness or illness comes against you, you can handle it. But if you have a wounded spirit, you cannot take anything in life. So when my spirit is wounded, I can't even handle life. There's a reason that we quit when things get difficult. It's not because our body is always tired. Many times it's because our spirit is wounded. But I'm thankful that the Bible teaches me that even though my body is getting weaker, my spirit can get stronger. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says we don't lose heart. Even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day, I can get strong in my spirit. I can get weak in my spirit, but I can get strong in my spirit. I can get wounded in my spirit, but I can also be healed in my spirit. The worst thing in my life doesn't have to be the last thing that happens to me. Sights and sounds and smells also trigger emotional responses. There's been about three or four times in, in my marriage. Monica and I have been married 25 years. About three or four times in our marriage, we're... Some, in the middle of the night, she will jump up out of the bed and run through the house looking for a fire. When she was younger, she had a house that burned down. And so anytime she thinks she smells smoke or anything like that, even, even if she looks up and, and the light in the, in the living room or out in the hallway looks orange, it, she has this emotional response before she even thinks about it. She jumps up out of bed and she's running through the house looking for fire, because those sights, those sounds, and those smells can trigger emotional responses. That's why a lot of people only come to church on Easter, because church is a trigger. Church is trauma. Some of the worst trauma in my life has been church trauma, because it, the the reason church hurt is is so bad because it 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 feels like something that hurt you is God. The thing that hurt you is God. The people that hurt you represent God. And sometimes church hurt can be some of the worst hurt because that place, those people were supposed to represent God. And hurt, being hurt by God is the worst kind of hurt you could possibly feel. And I think sometimes we miss, miss it in church because we, we think the idea of forgiveness is forgetting. Only God can forgive and forget. Only God has that capacity. It can, it can be uh, a lighter memory for us as time goes on, but I, I think it's impossible for us to forget every traumatic thing that has happened to us in our lives. I'd like to forget biting through 
my tongue. I would like to forget the betrayal of friends. I would like to forget a lot of the things that have happened to me. I'd like to forget the mean things that have been said about me online. I'd like to forget the times people have told me to go to hell and die and my whole family. I'd like to forget all of that stuff. But I am a human being and I find it hard to forget. And I'm glad that I don't have to forget to forgive. I'm glad I don't have to forget to move on. Because, because like every wound leaves, leaves some sort of mark on your body, I can redefine what that mark means in my life. I can look at that mark and I can say, yes, they hurt me. Yes, they broke me. But because now that mark is a scar, I can say also, yeah, they hurt me, but I'm healed. Yeah, they hurt me, but I'm better. Yeah, they hurt me, but I don't hurt like I hurt in the moment anymore. I can redefine those scars. I can redefine those memories. I can redeem that hurt and that pain. There's a doctor named Dr. Laberton. She says that to recover, people shouldn't be told to forget their trauma. They need to find ways to recontextualize and integrate it into their life stories. It's part of their story, never to be downplayed, but it need not define who they are in perpetuity. The wounds of Jesus are not the final word. They are meaningful, but they are not the final word. What's funny is I was reading about how sight and sound and smell can remind us of things that have happened in our lives. They are emotional triggers, but they are memory triggers. I started to see that the sense of smell is actually the strongest link to memory that we have it's an emotion unlike and it brings with it emotions unlike any other sense when you see hear or touch or taste something that sensory information first heads to the i'm, I'm not telling you this because because i i'm a brainiac i'm telling you i read this is this is from google you know this is from john hopkins <laughs> That sensory information first heads to the thalamus. I don't even know where that is. I just know it's there. Which acts as your brain's relay station. The th I've, I might not have a thalamus then if there's a relay station in the brain. I, the, the thalamus then sends that information to the relevant brain areas, including the hippocampus, which is responsible. I like that one. Hippo. Uh, which is responsible for memory. And the amygdala which does the emotional processing. But watch this. He says, that, but they say, but with smells, it's different. Since bypass the thalamus and go straight to the brain smell center known as the olfactory bulb. That's a, the olfactory bulb is directly connected to the amygdala and the hippocampus. I did read this before I got up here, which might explain... Why the smell of something can so immediately trigger a detailed memory or even an intense emotion. In other words, it bypasses the other, all of your, the sight, you know, your touch, all of those go through a process. But when you smell something, it bypasses all of that and goes straight to those areas that prompt you to respond in memory and emotion. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Monica was telling me this morning, she was like, there's sometimes I'll just be walking through a place and I'll smell something and immediately I'll remember my grandmother. I can, I, I, it's, it's the smell of her home, the smell of the way she kept her house. I can, 
I can be anywhere and smell that. And immediately I'm thinking of, of my grandmother. So that sense of smell is a, is a strong sense. And there are, there are things that have happened to us through our life, whether it is through sight, touch, smell, wounds that have happened to us physically, mentally, that remind us things that we see, touch, encounter, are a part of that remind us of things that have happened in our past. I'll never forget years ago, first time I experienced this as a pastor, I, there, it, was, it was a few Easter's ago. It was probably one of the first couple Easter's where I was leading the church. And there was, a, there, was a, there was a couple in the hallway on Monday morning in the office. And I, they had really been a really integral part of how Easter went. And so I just wanted to say thank you. And so I walked by someone on staff and I said, hey, can you tell them to come to my office before they leave? I just want to say, I just want to say thank you. And so when I... When, when they come into my office, they come into my office like literally shaking. They're scared. And I'm like, hey, guys. And they won't. They're like, it's like they're in shock. And I'm like, hey, uh, how you doing? And they're like, good. I'm like, what's up? Everything okay? And they both are just looking at each other like, this is hard for us. The last time we were sent to the pastor's office, <laughs> it didn't go well for us. That's why we're here, actually. That's why we came to this church, because think about that. It's literally triggering a physical response in their body that they could not control. And if we're not careful, we will let the memories of what happened to us Cloud the current experience we are having and miss out on the joy of now because we are still so traumatized by yesterday. I want to give you a story in the Bible where this literally comes to life for us. In John chapter 18, before Jesus is crucified, he tells his disciple Peter, he says to Peter, he says, you're going to betray me. As a matter of fact, before you hear this rooster crow, you're actually going to betray me three different times. And Peter's like, no, there's no way. I would never do that. I'm the, I'm, I'm the guy who cut off the, the ear in the garden. I will never walk away from you. I'll die for you. Well, John 18 comes and the Bible says that Peter, Jesus is taken away and Peter is left in this courtyard. And while he's in this courtyard... He denies Jesus three times, but the Bible says something interesting there that the three times that he denies Jesus, he is standing around. John 18 and 18 says this. It says that the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals, it says they stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself by that same fire. And three times around that fire, Peter denies Jesus. Well, Jesus goes to the cross as he's crucified during that whole process, the Bible says that Peter walks away. He abandons Jesus. John is the only male disciple at the foot of the cross. Peter is off fishing with everybody else. 
He's abandoned Jesus and they've been fishing all night long. They've caught nothing. And this man from the shore yells out to them. He says, hey, dear children, have you any fish? And they're like, no, we haven't caught anything. All night we haven't caught anything. And Jesus gives them a command to launch again. And they launch again. They catch fish. And as they catch these fish, their their boats begin to be overwhelmed. And they recognize that this is Jesus. And, And when they recognize that this is Jesus, Peter, the Bible says, jumps out of the boat and swims about 100 yards to get to land and hug and connect with Jesus. And the Bible says something very interesting about this story. It says in John 21 and 9, it says when they landed, they saw a fire of coals burning there with fish on it and some bread. So can you imagine if you're Peter and the last time you smelt fire with coals, it was when you betrayed Jesus. And so here Jesus is. He's got this fire going with coals and he's cooking fish on this fire. And this is not Jesus trying to rub it in Peter's face. This is Jesus trying to redefine that smell so that for the rest of his life, every time that he walks by a fire, he is not reminded of his failure, but he is reminded of the moment when Jesus restored him in relationship. As a matter of fact, around that fire, Peter had denied Jesus around the fire three times, but around, that, around this fire, Jesus asked Peter three different times, do you love me? Peter responds, yes. Because Jesus wanted to redefine what that fire, that smell represented in the life of Peter. Fire will no longer for Peter be the place of his denial, but it will be the place of restored relationship. And that's what God wants to do for every wound, for every scar, for every reminder, for every wound, for every trauma in your life, for every trigger in your life. He wants to redefine them. He wants to redeem them so that when you see that person, when you feel that emotion, when you go back to that place, You're not reminded of the pain, but you are reminded of the healing that God also has done in your life. This is why Romans 12 and 2 tells us you need to renew your mind. You need a renewed mind. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's another big science word. It's called neuroplasticity. I said that and I didn't swear. That's pretty cool because it's got some close moments in there. This word means the ability of the nervous system to change its activity in response to intrinsic or extrinsic stimuli by reorganizing its structure, functions, or connections after injuries. I came to tell somebody today, you have to create a new behavior around the fire. The fire that represented Peter's greatest failure now represents Peter's restoration Because Jesus helped him create a new memory around the fire. On a spiritual level, our tendency to mentally wander through the past creates a distance between ourselves and God. Peter, as he's following Jesus, the Bible says that he began to follow him at a distance. He'd started to slowly retreat from God. But I love this even though Peter retreated from God, retreated from Christ. The Bible says that when he saw him after the resurrection, 
he jumped out of the boat and swam to him. I know there have been times in your life and my life where because of the difficulty and the circumstances we have retreated, but I want to tell you today you have to create a new memory. And even though you don't feel worthy and even though you don't feel forgiven and even though you are plagued by your, your memories and your failures and the things that have happened to you, I want you to create a new memory when it comes to the Lord, not one of retracting, but one of jumping after and swimming after Jesus. Because if we keep retreating into our past, it will create just naturally a distance between ourselves and God, not one that God creates, but one that we create. Because we can only be here in this moment, in this place. It means that we can only meet God here, in this moment, in this place. I can't do anything about the fact that I retreated in the past. I can't really even let my mind be set on the future because the only encounter I can have with God is the one that I'm open to and available to right now. And when we don't show up for this moment, we are unlikely to notice God here with us. This is really true for us because all the, a lot of times in, in Scripture, when you see God speak to people, the Bible uses this terminology, this language, where it says that He spoke to them in this still, small voice. Whenever he spoke to them in this still, small voice, the moment, he, he quieted the moment. So the moment was quiet, they were still, and he spoke. In Psalm 46 and 10, it says this, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Now think the thing that I really want you to leave with today is this. Sometimes to heal, you must be still. Sometimes to heal, you must be still. And a lot of you, you're on your way to healing or you were on your way to healing, but you moved too quick and you reopened the wound. And maybe you did that because you got tired of being the bigger person. Anybody ever just gotten tired of being the bigger person? I have, a, I have a whole section in my, in my Twitter account. It's called drafts. You know what I'm talking about? In my email, it's called drafts. It's the stuff I wanted to say, but I didn't say. But there have been times... Where I have been so frustrated that instead of healing, I reopened the wound by saying what I wanted to say because I got sick of being the bigger person. I, I don't know if y'all know this, but I just, I can't just get in fights and keep this job. I mean, I think some people look at a pastor and they think, man, he's just, he's just so patient, he's just so calm, he's just so kind. 
I'm not like this because it's how I want to be. <laughs> oh, man. There are times. Oh, I have hit a lot of people in my head. <laughs> a lot. So I have spent my entire life being the bigger person. People can say whatever they want to say to me. But the moment I say it back to them, it becomes front page news. And that in itself is a trauma. Can I just, give, can I just go through counseling right now with y'all? Can I just... I'm on a couch. you got a notepad in your hand. You're t- taking notes. So there are times when it's like, be still, be still. I got to say something. I got to defend myself. I got to respond to this. I have to do something about this. You ever been tired of being the person who always says sorry? And if we are not careful, if we are not careful, When we spend our lives retaliating, what we do is we spend our life with open wounds. And when you have open wounds, you are susceptible to infection. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 15, it says, Be careful that no root of bitterness gets in, enters in, and defiles many. Bitterness is not inherent with offense. It's not like bitterness and offense are a package deal. Bitterness is the infection that happens because we don't cleanse and close the wound. And the root gets in through the wound. Somebody said this to me years ago. They said, somebody said something and I was talking to somebody. I said, man, I just really took offense to that. And they said, oh, that's it. That's the key. You took offense. Offense is not given Offense is taken. And there are some things that you are taking that you don't have to take. Instead of of looking at that person and saying, I don't have to take your hate. All you really have to do is say, I don't have to take the offense. For the rest of your life, people are going to treat you in a way you should not be treated. And you don't always have to respond by punching them in the mouth. As a matter of fact, you don't ever have to respond by punching them in the mouth. Unless you're defending yourself, you don't ever have to respond that way. Jesus, all the way to the cross, he's being beaten, mocked, accused, hit, slapped, and he says nothing. Why? Because the resurrection is going to do all of the talking for Jesus. And I came to tell somebody today to let the scars do the speaking. Let the resurrection do the talking. Let the fact that you are healed speak for you. Every time you open up your mouth and you do what you want and you say what you want, you reopen that wound. Your open mouth is an open wound. And it can lead to an infection. And sometimes your life is not falling apart because of Something that's happening to you, something 
you're going through. Sometimes it's falling apart because of people you are connecting yourself with. That's why he says bitterness doesn't just defile you. It defiles many. I came in a few weeks ago and the back room over here was flooding and the tile had fallen onto the floor. The reason the tile was falling onto the floor is because it was under something that was leaking. The tile wasn't defective. Something it was under was. And some of y'all aren't broken because (laughs) you're defective. You are breaking apart because you are sitting up under something that is leaking on you. Some bitterness, some bitter person, some anger. That's why the Bible says, don't hang out with angry people. Why? Because you will get angry. Even when you get bitten by a snake, it's not the bite that kills you. It's the poison that stays in you after they've taken their mouth off of you. And it's the same way with people. It's not what they say that kills you. It's you allowing it to stay with you after they've stopped talking about you that kills you. So even for snake bites, they have antivenom. Antivenom is a medicine that gives, that's given to you to stop the snake venom from binding to your tissues and causing serious blood and nervous system problems. Here's the issue. Yes, they will bite you. Yes, people will hurt you. Yes, life will wound you. Yes, you will experience trauma. But don't allow it to bind to your tissues, causing blood issue, tissue, nervous system problems. Allow that antivenin. What's the antivenin? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's forgiveness that not only flows to you, and, but it flows through you. Can I tell you this and let you go? Leave your back to God. Will you stand on your feet with me? Leave your back to God. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says that we are to put on the armor of God. And it lists all of this different armor. Breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. All of these different pieces of armor. But as you read through it, there is nothing there that says anything about your back. But that's where people talk. That's where people stab. Most of the time, people don't talk to me in the front. People talk behind my back. Most of the time, people don't stab me right in the front. People stab me in the back. Why doesn't Ephesians give me any armor for my back? Why? Because God has my back. Isaiah... Isaiah 58 and 8 says, The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Every time I turn around to respond to the attacks that come from behind me, I leave my future exposed. That's why God says, I don't need you to put any armor on your back. I'll take care of that. I need you to fight forward. You can't do anything about what has happened, but you can do something about what you're getting ready to face. And I will take care of your back. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 23 and 6, he said, goodness and mercy will follow me 
all the days. I don't have to worry about my back because goodness and mercy have got my back. And let me tell you very often how God deals with your enemies is not how you want God to deal with your enemies. Sometimes God doesn't inflict pain on the people that have inflicted pain on you. And if you're waiting for the person that hurt you to hurt, you could be waiting for the rest of your life. Sometimes the way God inflicts pain on your enemies is what he said, the psalmist said he would do in Psalm 23 and 5. He says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes the way God punishes your enemies is he makes them watch you eat. So God says, listen, stop turning. Every time you respond to your pain, every time you respond to what they said, every time you turn around, every time you let your scars make you look and observe your past, you're missing out on your future. Now, what am I supposed to do? He says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He says, He anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Here's what I do. I let the oil and the cup talk for me. I let the anointing speak for itself. Robbie, what are you going to do about what they said? I'm going to let the transformed lives that come to Calvary every week speak for me. That's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do when they talk about it? I'm going to let my anointing talk. I'm going to let the cup that God has given me that runs over with blessing in my life speak for itself. I don't have to defend my back. God has got my back. I don't have to defend myself. I can allow the oil and the cup to speak for me. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today that you are redefining our fire. No longer will those places where we have been hurt and we have failed and no longer will those memories remind us of our greatest failure, but they will also be a reminder of our restoration. So God, we thank you today that you are with us You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. Help us.